agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, once again, welcome to The Politics Guys. It is always great to be back, Trey. It's always fun to be doing this uh, uh, with you, Ken. Now, you know, this week, we're going to take the show on, and then we'll be back in two weeks. We get to come back a little bit more rapidly than we normally do, uh, So, as because uh, Mike is going to be uh, taking a little bit of a, a, vac- a well-deserved vacation. So we, you, everybody will get a little bit of extra Trey and Ken <laughs> in the, sh- in the, in the uh, short run. So, you know, for us, this time of year, this is the, we're kind of, I guess you guys aren't quite there yet. My, my school starts much more rapidly. So that we get done by Thanksgiving now. So we're, we're just about ready to start the semester. So it's almost, I call it quote unquote fall because it's kind of fall. Yeah. <laughs> but 100, 100 degrees, not really but at all. Fall. Yeah, 100 degrees outside. 100, no, 115. 115. Yeah, we actually, we, we, we beat Death Valley. So we beat Death Valley and we broke the Dust Bowl record. Um, so, yeah, you know. Just, just, just a little hot. So, yeah. were you guys? You guys were a hundred, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually in New York now, but it was in the high nineties here also, and in Cincinnati, it was a hundred. See, there you go. Just, a, just a mere hundred degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if you were listening to politics, guys, this is not the old man's edition. We're not just going to talk about the Weather Channel today. What we've got on deck, we're going to talk about the. <laughs> I like that. I got you to laugh yeah. at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we're we're going to start off talking about uh, the kind of the wrap up to the January 6th committee with a, a special focus on the Secret Service text message uh, uh, issue that has really been playing out this week. We're going to talk about the newly uh, released uh, Uvalde video that came out this past week, uh, which, man, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about, well, maybe there can be a good guy with a gun as we move over to Indiana and the mall, almost half of a shooting. Um, the police shooting in New York, a, a, a long, this isn't something new. We're going to talk about a kind of a longer form, but on Thursday, just yesterday, there was a new one that kind of uh, ran into this time to talk about police and their interaction with shootings. Uh, and then we're going to move forward. Members of Congress uh, were arrested on Tuesday. We'll talk about that and some of the things surrounding that and the abortion protests. We got a couple other stories depending on time, but that's what we're going to have for you on deck when we come back after just a moment. Okay, so Ken, we're going to start by talking about, well, the January 6th committee. It continues to turn up information this week, although in this case, it isn't as much, at least part of it isn't as much about what it did turn up as what it didn't turn up, right? So maybe in this sense, uh, required text messages not appearing and the absence of action uh, uh, from Donald Trump. But why don't we start by uh, kind of taking a look at this past week is we unfolded what was going on with text messages. So let's kind of set this up. The Secret Service this week, according to committee members, only turned over one text, that's right, one text in response to the January uh, 6th committee subpoena. Now, why is that the case? Well, according to the Secret Service, it was due to a pre-scheduled reset of devices. 
Committee members disagree. In fact, these messages were long ago requested in other formats, and as a matter of fact, uh, long before the reset. Representative uh, Raskin, as a matter of fact, to uh, members of the Congress said, quote, I smell a rat, end quote, when it came to the issue. As a matter of fact, the January 6th committee released a statement this week uh, concerning the system mitigation, i.e. this uh, reset of devices. In the committee's word, quote, the U.S. Secret Service system mitigation process went forward on January 27th, 2021, just three weeks after the attack on the Capitol in which the Vice President of the United States, while under the protection of the Secret Service, was steps from a violent mob uh, hunting for him. A little bit brief break. It may represent a possible violation of the Federal Records Act. Now, yesterday, topping onto this statement, that's January, uh, excuse me, uh, um, June 21st, uh, the department, I said June, July 21st, the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General informed the Secret Service to stop looking into the matter because it notes that it is now, quote, an ongoing criminal investigation, end quote. In other words, into those lost text messages. To put this in this broader context, one of the reasons that there is a desire for this is that off the record, Secret Service members have disputed some of the uh, uh, allegations, statements, and testimony of individuals, especially uh, Ms. Hutchinson, as it relates to their actions. But of course, nobody has been willing to talk about that under oath, and now the evidence no longer exists. So, Ken, what do you think about this ongoing Secret Service? There's a lot of different possibilities here. What's your take? It's really hard to untangle. Uh, um, I, I, my, my take is that there's been some wrongdoing, but in terms of, you know, who's the wrongdoer and, uh, um, you know, exactly how did this happen? Um, it's, it seems, it seems difficult. You know, I, I first like with this idea of a routine data backup erasing all these texts. You know, that's extraordinary. I mean, you, you and I both work in universities that don't have nearly the technical resources um, that the U.S. Secret Service has. And, uh, you know, we get routine data backups of our, our university emails and things like that. And I don't remember ever being told, you know, that we have to um, back up every one of them, every every old email ourselves or else uh, um, or, or else we'll lose them all. It seems like a very unusual data practice for, for sure. You know, and, and to the point of, you know, being completely implausible, I think um, the uh, um, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I was going to kind of add to that to kind of give an example, because, I, you know, you, you mentioned us working for universities and the kind of data backup in that uh, in that system. So let me just give listeners maybe a, a specific example. My former institution, Daytona State uh, uh, College down in Florida, Florida has what's called the sunshine laws. And, and effectively, what that means is, is that anything that is touched uh, by government funds has to be available upon request to citizens, even if it isn't automatically made available. So that is so prevalent that that means even if you're working for a public uh, uh, institution, as I did for college, every single email, phone call, et cetera, that I make upon request, as long as it's redacting any kind of information from a student's grade, or there's some things that can be redacted, but almost every single piece of that has to be maintained kept so that when you'd have uh, requests for information that we could produce those in a in, by a timely manner you I mean we're talking about you you have days um, to provide that 
Yeah, so and, and my and little even, tiny yeah, college yeah, had to keep right. you know phone, yeah. email, ev- all of those records, and then provide it within hours effectively. So just just to kind of give a you know you, you yeah. say that, and I thought, well, let's give a really concrete example <laughs> of what that looks like, you know. So again, as you pointed out, it's not as if we're going to have the resources of the Secret Service. <laughs> right, right. We, we, yeah, they, they, they couldn't afford the storage space on their hard drives or something, and they, they had to clear yeah. them off. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean the, the most underfunded public institutions manage to have data practices where they can keep things like that. The, the IT departments don't routinely just d- delete everything that, that, the, that the, you know, that, 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 that professors or even um, staff members at universities are are. are, are are putting on their on their computers and it's just it's just absolutely implausible to me that there was anything routine about this um you mentioned the violation of the federal records act um yeah that, that's um probable um that's not a, an act where there's very serious consequences for violations but the um the the um I, it could be obstruction of justice as well because um I, I, the timeline's not completely clear to me but it seems at least possible based on the way some of the the news reporting has been that some of these these deletions happened after they'd already been requested by congressional committees and and possibly after they'd already been requested by the justice department as well although we don't know whether the justice department ever requested these but um but if they, if they had then you know there there's those are additional timelines to think about it would i think i think the more serious possible uh uh legal problem here and and there has been some reporting that a criminal probe's been opened i would think if it's a criminal probe it's going to relate to obstruction of justice rather than just to the federal records act yeah as a matter of fact the federal records act that was what was in the january 6th uh, committee statement, the, uh, the inspector general is the one who talked about the criminal investigation more in the line that you were talking about. So that wasn't my language, but the, yeah. but the committee yeah. and then the, the committee inspector straight. general's language. Yeah, I guess the, probably the committee didn't want to use the word criminal at this point because they don't have ev- evidence of crime. Um, they just have evidence of disappeared records, which would violate the Federal Records Act. But the Federal Records Act is not a criminal statute, but um, ob- obstruction of justice is a crime. And uh, so that's, yeah, I think that's interesting. It's, it's hard to know, um, you know, who, uh, you know, who, who would be behind this. And uh, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, that, that, that's kind of where I find all the mystery is who, who could have actually accomplished this. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously there's the, the one possibility is that you have somebody in the Trump orbit who is putting pressure uh, on somebody in, you know, in the Secret Service to make this happen. But, I mean, while that's possible, it seems unlikely given the level of separation you have in some ways between president and those I, I don't, thoughts about that. I, I mean, well, I, I, I've I mean, seen I that loaded, but it doesn't seem as likely. But again, I mean, there's things that we see that have happened that are not likely that, that are happening, right? So, you know, it's hard to then discount it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, well, I don't think it's unlikely that that kind of pressure would have come from the the Trump camp, but I, I, I would think it's more that to actually accomplish it, you'd have to um, have, you know, like the IT staff that could actually accomplish it. I would think would be um, professional civil servants, and um, exactly. you know, who would know who would know that it's not legal. And so anybody anybody who's you know, if, if that order came down from on high, I don't quite see how it gets done without involving um, a lot of people who would then know about it and would know that it was illegal and wouldn't have great incentive to keep quiet about it. So that, that's kind of the part well, that's it, conf- confusing me. Well, and additionally, unlike, say, 
So it, it's January 27th, meaning that you know that you are in the waning moments of the Trump administration, meaning that the kind of even internal pressure that could be brought to bear on a civil servant couldn't possibly last but in, in comparison, but a moment, well, which is already, also, it's, it's, it's already the Biden administration. In fact, it's the 27th. That's true. The came in on the 20th. I, yeah. Yeah. So these things would have to have been set in motion by the departing Trump administration and just not noticed by the Biden administration for, for that to be the case. But it didn't. Yeah. 27 Biden would have been in a week already. He probably wouldn't have had very many of his people in yet in, in these agencies. But uh, because, you know, of course, because McConnell was slowballing him on his uh, appointments and things like that. And I don't think he got much more than a secretary of defense uh, confirmed during his first week in office. But um, so you'd, it would be the chaos, though, of having the new administration, but still having a lot of holdover Trump people in the agencies at that moment in time. Yeah, I had not thought about that. Yeah, I had my I would, <laughs> timeline just a little off. True point. But yeah, I mean, but, I guess that then again leads to chaos. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, who know? I don't even know exactly what the timeline was. Say for someone like um, uh, um, Tony Ornato, you know, his name comes up a lot in this. He had been a career civil, uh, career Secret Service person, but then he'd been a, um, a political appointee in the Trump uh, White House, working for Mark Meadows. Who, um, but he would have still had a lot of his contacts in the Secret Service, and his name comes up in connection with. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony about um, hearing about Trump trying to grab the steering wheel. Like, apparently it was from Tony Ornato that she heard that. So Ornato seems to play a kind of key role in terms of being a, a link between the, the Trump political operations um, and the Secret Service. But I think he would have he would have um, he would have lost his job as deputy chief of staff the, the day that um, Trump and Meadows left the White House. I think he did return to the, his career job in the Secret Service, but I'm not quite sure what, what he was doing on those days or whether he would have been in a position to do this. It's just it's just really I think we're going to need to learn more just by waiting to hear more facts come out. There's there's a lot we could speculate about, but it's too it's too uh, opaque, I think, to really see through it all right now. Which leads to something else, you know, we, we, we talked about, Ken, earlier on in the process, you know, we followed the, the committee, and that is, you know, of course, uh, yesterday was the wrap-up, effectively, uh, to the January 6th committee, and, and it's probably the wrap-up to the committee in many ways as we move into November, because it seems unlikely to me that that is going to continue past the election. So, you know, unlike you know, kind of like the the season of a show you really like. I'm not sure if all of the <laughs> threads will ever get finished. What do you think about that as well? Before we get into other things from Thursday night's uh, uh, January 6th committee meeting. Well, I don't see any reason they wouldn't continue until the end of the year. Um, you know, the 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 election will happen in November, but the the current Congress is in office until the end of December. And I, I think they will continue at least till then. What, whether they're able to continue into the next uh, Congress depends, of course, on the outcome of the election. But I think I think if the Dems still have the majority and if the Jan 6 committee wants to continue, um, I do think it'll continue into the into the new year. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying the Dems will not still have the majority and, and then there's no way that it'll be able to continue if they don't. But, um, I, you know, last night's it seemed a little anticlimactic to me in a way, because I think when they scheduled this to be the final hearing, they thought, um, you know, uh, Pottinger was going to basically be the most explosive witness that they had. 
But then, like during the course of these um, these other hearings that we saw earlier, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson showed up, and I think she was the star of the whole of the whole season. Yeah. And then, and then, um, uh, even because of her, Pat Cipollone showed up, and you know he's uh, you know I guess the best supporting actor or something. But I think by the time you get to <laughs> to Pottinger, you know it was like there wasn't that much more really that he had to say. You know, it was kind of like, you know, the, the, he, that was like the primetime slot for the star witness. But he was very far from being the star witness, I thought, by the time things already shook out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's truth to that. Now, you know, one of the other, you know, before we get into the, maybe the specifics, one of the other macro level questions uh, that have, has come forward is to say the January 6th committee at this point you know, they have done it in what you might call as, you know, we were even talking about it in kind of television design style. You know, you're getting these clips, uh, they're played in pieces. And one of the questions is going to be is, are we going to get all of this material released in its whole gathered form and in, in a more, you might say, kind of a 9-11 commission kind of way? Uh, uh, maybe in this case, I would say as a knock against the committee to be, you know, okay, yeah, great, have it on, you know, have the have the the serialized television version, but you need to release the book too. You need to release everything it's, uh, itself as well. And at this point, they haven't done that. What do you think comes down the pike on that front? And and what why do you think it might be the case that it's all we've gotten is again, for lack of a better term, the TV version. Well, I, I think that's because of the haste that's imposed because of the um, everybody everybody's operating under the understanding that if the Republicans get the House in in this November election, then the plug will be pulled on the committee. So I think mm-hmm. I think it, because of that, um, you know, the the committee has to kind of think about you know what what's the maximum impact we can make given that we've got a limited time frame here. And if they were spending all their efforts, um, you know, writing reports, um, you know, they, 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 would, they, they wouldn't be able to cover as much ground as they've been covering in the televised hearings and they wouldn't have the impact of the televised hearings. So, I mean, I, I think if there had been, um, you know, a, a statute enacted, as with the 911 commission, to create a commission and let it do its work until it was done, um, then that kind of framework would be much more conducive to publishing the kind of report that you're talking about. And I actually think they will publish a report if they can keep working for another couple of years. But if the plug is pulled on them uh, in, in 2022, then I think, you know, how's, how could a report ever come out? So why don't we get into some of the, uh, the, the additional outcomes from the committee? Again, maybe not as uh, revelatory. One, at least, that st- uh, stood out for me was the, the, the Trump storyboarding for his speech post you know, the next day, so on January 7th, uh, where he doesn't, for example, you know, he explicitly says, look, I don't want to say that the election was over, uh, doesn't like the word tomorrow. There's a number of issues that he has as he's kind of moving through that sequence. I found that to be a worthy new addition in the sense that you're watching, I mean, it's something we all knew, but Trump kind of work through the, the the early aspects of the lie. What did you think about that portion of the of the of the committee's hearing? Oh, um, the, yeah, the uh, Trump. Um, I'm sorry. Um, the, the portion about Trump working through the early aspects of the lie. Yes. Yeah, so you'll notice uh, they they had they released video of where he is 
trying to oh, do yeah, his oh, speech on January seventh. The, the, the January seventh. So speech, you're yeah. seeing the you're seeing the uh, the edits for it and him saying, "Look, I don't like." Well, the, the the line for me that really stood out was when he he says, "Right, I don't want to say I, I, uh, I don't want to say that the election's over. I just want to say that Congress finished its business yeah. effectively. You know, the election yeah. isn't over, right? And we're not done yet." Uh, and, and, and that's that was the 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 video series I was talking about there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's, that's January seventh, so that's why I was I wasn't quite following about early. That's already after January sixth. Um, the earlier. Oh, I mean, in, in the sense that that's, that's, that's the that's the very beginning of yeah, his. Yeah. You know, it's certified, but I'm still not willing to say the election's over. I, I think of January seventh as being the be as being the the cement, uh, the beginning of the true full-blown the big lie from the donald trump camp uh and so yeah but i mean of course the, the election yeah, was already they, over I before think, that point but right. i think they started the big lie when they started all the the giuliani's litigation you know the 80 cases that he brought um all of which were filled with lies and you know none of which were um uh, uh, uh you know even even got beyond the frivolousness level in court. Um, and, and also on the sort of, you know, I, to me, even much more damning last night than the, the, the clip of Trump recording a message on January 7th was, um, the clip from, uh, that was played at the very end by Liz Cheney of Steve Bannon, um, telling people back on Halloween, you know, eight or nine days before, um, uh, the election, you know, here's what's going to happen. You know, if Trump is, uh, is, is losing. He's going to say that he won. He's going to call. He's going to call the military to shut down all the voting machines. He's going to tell the attorney general to say that the election was fraudulent. And, you know, this, the earlier this happens, the wilder he's going to get. If he's losing on election night, all hell is going to break loose. You know, Bannon was saying all this about seven or eight days before the um, election. And, and that was that tape mm-hmm. was shown at, at the end last night. That to me is the is the, the most smoking gun evidence ever. Because he wasn't, I mean, Bannon wasn't speculating. He was talking about what Trump was going to do based on what Trump told Bannon that Trump was going to do. So, and, and premeditation, effectively. Premeditation, <laughs> yeah. And then Trump followed the plan that was already laid out, you know, long before it would have even been possible to know whether there were any irregularities on election day. You know, he already had this, this plan to, if he's losing, he's just going to say there were. And uh, so that, that to me was uh, um, extremely strong evidence of, of Trump's premeditation. So what were there in the other moments for you that stood out worth, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we already knew about Trump ignoring all of these pleas from his supporters and including his, you know, Ivanka, um, pulling himself up and not being willing to interact with any of that. Um, anything yeah. else for you that comes to the that comes to the forefront, or what do you think? No, I mean, as I said, I thought last night had a weird kind of uh, it, it, it. It seemed weird to me because they had developed. I think when they had scheduled the the, the seven hearings, you know, the the subject of the final hearing was going to be you know, what did Trump do during these three hours? And they had these witnesses in who could speak to that. But as, as it actually transpired, they, they had the, those accounts came out even sooner than the seventh hearing. So everything felt a little bit redundant or repetitive last night based on things that Cassidy Hutchinson and Pat Cipollone had already said. And, you know, and, and Pat, both of those two witnesses were, um, were not witnesses that, um, you know, had come forward yet. When when this when the final hearing was scheduled, so I think the final hearing was really going to be based on the idea that that uh, Pottinger is going to break this story, and uh, and the and the uh, the press the uh, Matthews was her name the the, the press uh, 
the, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah, yeah, that the two of them would speak to this. But by now, um, uh, yeah, Cipollone and, and uh, Hutchinson had already spoke to it. So I, I think we've heard again and again and again that uh, every person in the White House was trying to tell Trump, you know, you got to stop this, you got to stop this. And the reason he didn't do anything is because he didn't want it, he didn't want it stopped. And uh, so that it's a it's a maybe it's a message that bears repeating. And so it was repeated again last night. But I, I didn't I didn't think there was a ton new last night. I thought that the Bannon clip was probably the the, the newest thing, because it even though it had come out in the, in the Internet a few days earlier, um, it's, it's really the first thing that we see that's from way before the election that shows that this plan was already hatched way before the election. As opposed to being a cobbled together or incompetency or right, I mean, these yeah. other potential kinds of explanations. Yeah. And or, you know, I mean, I guess if it, if it hadn't been shown to have been hatched before the election, you could never quite rule out that he, he really believed that there was fraud. Right. But but I think now you can rule out that he sincerely believed that there was fraud because this was a, a plan that was cooked up before it would have been possible for there to be any fraud. And Bannon even forthrightly said, you know, even if he loses, he's just going to say he won and it was fraud. So that that was the plan all along. Um, and so I think there's, you know, the last bit of plausible deniability uh, that, that Trump could have had uh, to say, well, yeah, I, I yeah, sure. I, I did support the insurrection, but that's because I believed I actually won the election. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think he's got any I, I don't think that holds any water either. So this let's bring this a little bit to the to the political realities of the moment we are at the uh coming into the middle and end of July, which is there seems to be a lot of evidence to suggest that Trump wants to announce his candidacy for president uh that others would like him to wait till the end of midterm. Do you think that the January 6th you know ending that here I mean in some ways it almost it would seem in one way counterintuitive, but I think it makes Trumpian sense for him to want to respond to all of this with a, and now I'm running for office again. Yeah, I mean, actually, one, one, one thing I've been thinking about, you used the word counterintuitive, but makes Trumpian sense. One thing I was thinking is, even though, the, 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 along the same lines as you, is that even though the, the polling data now, I think, is showing that even the majority of Republicans are saying they don't want him to run again, um, there's a paradox there which is that, uh, you know, people like McConnell, I think yesterday were saying, you know, it's going to be a crowded field and, and this and that, you know, implying that, you know, people are not going to be afraid to run against Trump. But but Trump might be thinking, well, that's fine. You know, if it's a crowded field and if I keep, you know, the 33 percent of Republicans who want to vote for me voting for me, I, I could win again with 33 percent just like last time because it'll be a crowded field right. and all, all these other guys will split the votes on each other. So sort of the paradox there is that his weakness, which is inviting more people to come in and run against him, you know, might be his strength, because if more people come in and run against him, he doesn't need to get as high of a percentage to actually win. Yeah, and to add to that, I, I saw McConnell's statement about that. And on the one hand, I think that's a, it's an astute prediction on your part. I, I hadn't thought it through that way. But I think there's a number of individuals who would not throw into the ring. So, for example, DeSantis. I don't think DeSantis runs, even though there is now uh, anim- animosity between those two gentlemen, I don't believe that DeSantis runs at the same time as Trump does because their bases so largely overlap. Uh, and, and I don't think, as you were pointing out, 
if Trump runs, that although it's a diminishing amount, he's got such a rabid, they're not going to switch base. I don't think a DeSantis could flip that 30%. Well, yeah, maybe. I, I think he might. I think he might run against Trump because um, really, okay, the, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's uh, because I do think the in a way the January sixth committee is doing DeSantis a huge favor because they're 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 beating up on Trump enough that it's causing Trump fatigue among some Republicans, right? Like like Trump may have had Trump may have had fifty percent of Republicans before. And he's down to, you know, probably 35 percent of Republicans now, like some of them are are getting sick of him. And most of them are getting sick of him, I think, is what the polling is showing. Um, So that might encourage DeSantis. Right. DeSantis might think, well, if I can present myself as, um, you know, Trump, Trump, Trumpist policies without all the Trump baggage, um, then there's there's obviously going to be a constituency for that because, the people who like Trump, maybe it's because they like his policies and, uh, you know, nobody really loves the baggage. And so I, I think that DeSantis might see that as an opening. And actually, I think if there's a relatively small number of candidates, DeSantis would beat Trump. Um, but, you know, I think the the big number of candidates things is, is the problem. Like, you know, I would almost analogize it to Bernie Sanders. Like if Bernie Sanders ran again, um, you know, and he's only going to get, you know, 30 or 40 percent of the Democrats and never more than that. well. That would be enough to win if there was a seven, seven, you know, can, seven other candidates and they they they're all roughly equal to each other. And none of them could even get up to 30 or 35. You know, and, and I, I actually do think that was Trump's main path to victory in 2016. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think DeSantis, you know, if, if he thinks it's just going to be a head to head between him and Trump, I think he would not be afraid of that at all. But I think the thing he's got to be more afraid of is whether there's going to be a lot of other a lot of other hats in the ring and, and a risk of splitting the vote. Well, and I'll add, you know, so this is me being the, the political communication guy. Uh, and, and something to keep in mind for listeners is that, you know, when we talk about these things that affect elections, these are the things that affect elections around the margins and therefore can have impact, but they're not always the the most endemic reasons that uh, 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 one candidate's going to win over another candidate. However, I would say one of the other elements that goes into thinking about uh, the Trump primary, Ken, is the fact that, in my view, one of the reasons I had had earlier said that I thought Trump had opportunity uh, and then later uh, was going to was going to win was because I saw him engaging with social media in a way that was highly effective. Not that it was good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mean that in a normative sense, but it was effective to the medium. And because he doesn't have that outlet now, I think he I, I think the that races will play out far different uh, with him kind of sequestered. Uh, and again, is that going to be a, a giant uh, vote move? No, but, but I, I do think that will play into a primary race for sure in the way that it played in, uh, you know, leading up in, into 2016. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, yeah, I think part of the reason he is getting so damaged by the um, by, by the passage of time, including the January 6th hearings, is that he doesn't have that same platform that he used to have. Exactly, exactly. He can't have his instantaneous responses i i was trying to think of another adjective for them besides yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. He, he he fires these things off and i again i think one of the things that made him some analysts difficult to understand 
was they misunderstood that what for them was normatively, the content being normatively unappealing did not mean that his mechanism and target was not empirically successful. Right. He, he clearly had a constituency and he, uh, they were interested in what he had to say. And now they're just not hearing as much of what he has to say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so uh, uh, Ken, any last thoughts on Trump, January 6th, Secret Service, anything else there before we move forward? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would. I'm. I'm I. I am skeptical that he's going to be the nominee. I, I. I feel like even though he may benefit from some of the dynamics we've just been talking about, um, I tend to think that the Trump fatigue phenomenon, which has just been growing and growing, you know, slowly but surely, um, it, it's that's that's a trajectory that I think is going to continue. So I think um, by the end of this year, by the beginning of next year. You know, even more Republicans are going to be sick of him and even more independents are going to be sick of him. And so that, you know, I think his numbers will just basically keep dwindling for a number of the reasons that we said and that he does not have a realistic chance to be the nominee. I also think he may be uh, misinformed about Justice Department policies. And I think he may think that if he announces early that he's running, that um, the, the policy against interfering with um, elections through criminal investigations um, would somehow shield him from criminal investigations. But that policy mm-hmm. is not is not at all triggered by how early somebody announces. It's triggered by how close to the election we are. So that, you know, he's he's not going to no no in the year 2023, Nobody is going to be able to rely on the the policy against interfering with uh, elections um, by being an announced candidate. It's just too far before the 2024 election. Well, on that front, I I have asked you this once before uh, and and you answered this, but now we have everything that at least one big part of the package from the January 6th committee. Do you what do you think is the likelihood that Trump faces? legal consequences as a result of this as, as a result of his january 6th plot uh i mm-hmm. i think he i think he will um he uh you know when you say legal consequences you're also including i guess the um from the state of georgia as well as from the justice yes. department yeah i i think that the georgia um investigation seems to be moving forward at quite a clip and uh i i i don't i i don't see it getting derailed um, within the Justice Department, the particular investigation that seems to be moving along the, the fastest is the fake electors scheme. You know, more that seems to be moving along faster because it involves fewer people and fewer facts than than the the um, Capitol invasion of January sixth. But I think I think the fake electors scheme is going to lead to some fairly high level indictments. I, I, you know, I think Eastman and and uh, Giuliani and and um, uh, Sidney Powell. Um, are, are going to be indicted. And th- that could lead to Trump. I, I, I can't say that it will, but I think it will depend if any of them will cut a deal. You know, if, if any of the people a step below Trump will want to uh, become cooperators, it could lead to an indictment of Trump. Um, I think if none of them do, if they all just take the bullet and uh, say that it was all them, um, you know, Trump, Trump will escape responsibility for that. Uh, but that, that, that would sort of be how I see those shaping out. Okay, so here's my last question, because I know, you know, on the show, we oftentimes will do, you know, what we're reading. And one of the things that you always enjoy is kind of the good spy, right? I mean, you know, the espionage, that always seems to be one of the 
you're doing. So here, here is my uh, my novel. Uh, we're going to call it a novel, right? Like my novel prediction, my novel in that sense, though. Uh, uh, what's the likelihood that you know uh, we we see some kind of prosecution towards Trump, and suddenly he turns up and he's hanging out in Russia? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would. <laughs> I I wonder about that too. But I I think if they indict him, they'll move to take away his passport right away. Um, so that'll make it yeah. a little bit harder for him. Now, certainly that wouldn't make it impossible for him to get snuck out of the country on private planes or something. But, uh, yeah, it could happen. It could happen. Um, that's an actually, the last, since you mentioned it, one thing that never came up in any of the January 6th hearings was any kind of, um, Ru- Russian, uh, hand in any of it. And I, I, you know, you haven't heard much about that in the media, but I was always wondering about it because, it did seem like, you know, earlier on in his administration, Russia's hand was in a lot of things that he did. And it seemed like he took a lot of advice. And in some ways, he seemed to model this whole thing on the way uh, Putin manages elections in Russia. And uh, um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe there's I guess there must not be any evidence tying Russia to this because nobody's really brought it out. But it is something I would speculate about as well. Well, I would say on that, since we're, we're down the speculation route. If you're if you are an authoritarian regime, Putin, otherwise, there's no particular reason to encourage somebody to do something they're already doing the way you would want them to do. Right. So <laughs> so I guess I wasn't I wasn't as surprised. Right. Like, you know, it, it's usually when it's more the even if you're at the conjoling and friendly stage, but you're not sure the other person is going to do the thing it aligns in your benefit. That's at least internationally relations speaking. That's when you're going to start exerting that pressure. But if you already know this individual for self-interested reasons is going to do precisely the thing, the kind of chaotic thing you'd hope would happen, you don't. You can just kind of step back and watch, right? So that, that as a matter of fact, that was my takeaway from this was to say, I, I don't think there's much evidence there because what would have been, besides making it harder for Team Trump, what would have been the involved, what, what would have been helpful for a foreign agent to do there that was not already happening? better potentially without their influence that would that would be my take to be honest yeah i, I think you're probably right i mean if, if john eastman's capable of coming up with this strategy then then putin's agents don't have to tell tell it to john eastman he's already come up with it himself i guess but it's uh yeah, yeah that, that yeah i was just thinking more that um you know maybe none of them came up with this strategy maybe Maybe the only way that the, the origins of this whole scheme, you know, came came because it was suggested to them from from uh, foreign powers. But I, oh. I, I, I but I have no evidence for that at all. So I, 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 yeah. I, do have to, I have to concede that if there was any evidence for that, it probably would have come out by now. Yeah, I mean, especially given there would be no reason for the January 6th committee to not want to include that or to investigate those threads. Now, but again, I will go back, though. I still think, even if it you know doesn't happen, I think maybe we need to write the book, like, you know, kind of the what-if history book. So Trump and Russia <laughs> could be yeah. the what-if history book, the alternative history. I, I don't know. That could just be phenomenal. Uh, or, we, or maybe we'd change his name slightly, right? He'd be, like, pumped. You know, yeah, we'd do his name back. <laughs> <laughs> but be that as it may, we, we should probably get away from from uh, vague speculation uh, about uh, uh, that to some some more real things. So, uh, but before we make that uh, uh, break, I want to say that this is going to be the kind of the this is the end of our ad supported preview. So, 
Ken and I, we are certainly not done. We're going to be moving on talking about the Uvalde video. Uh, we're going to be talking about the good guy with the gun. We're going to all kind of fun things. Uh, well, I mean, that's such a weird phrase. So anyway, point being, though, is, is we're not done with this conversation. We've got another good five stories, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. So if you would like to hear the rest of what Ken and I are doing, you can join us as a supporter. Uh, listener supports what makes us possible. So if you'd like to be able to listen to the rest of this, all you have to do is head to patreon.com slash politicsguys or politicsguys.com slash support. On uh, Venmo, we're at politicsguys. So again, that's patreon.com slash politicsguys or politicsguys.com slash support. And again, on Venmo, we're at politicsguys. Now, I also know, and I know this from personal experience, if you are not in a financial uh, position to be able to support the show, don't forget, you can reach out uh, uh, to Mike at politicsguys.com, and he can also hook you up with the show. Uh, you know, we don't want you to leave you in a lurch because you, can't, you, you don't have that kind of financial means. But if you do, we would highly recommend that you do that. Get the rest of the show. We're going to we have a lot of fun things uh, lined up to chat about. Because, again, it's me and Ken. It's the, it's the two best hosts on the show. So join us. <laughs> join us for the rest of the show.